0: Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening, because this is Travis Makes Friends. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Travis Makes Friends podcast. It's a little noisier than typically than it is when we typically do these because we're actually doing this live from Sub Summit. I've never done this before. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a new one for me. Well hey this is first time for everything so we're gonna we're gonna knock it out of the park and make it happen anyway. Um, I, I here's what I'm gonna do differently on this episode than what we typically do. Typically, I like to spend a lot of time on backstory and talking about kind of how you got to where you are. Yep. Uh, but today, since there's an audience sitting in front of us of people who care to build subscription businesses and exit them, and that's something that you've done, you know, oh, somewhat successfully, sure. um, we're going to focus a little bit more tactics uh, this time around. If that's cool with you, uh, so so let's go ahead and jump right in. Welcome to the show, Jesse Pooji. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me, man.
1: All right, I'm glad to be here.
0: So. Uh, Minimal context before we jump into some tactical nitty gritty things. Minimal context. Um, talk to me about a twelve year old Jesse. Twelve. Set years, the scene. Where were you? Twelve what was year life old like?
1: Jesse. Uh, I think I already wanted to be an entrepreneur at that point. Okay. So dreamed of that. A buddy of mine. Uh, we started A and J Lawn Care. Nice. And we we went around the neighborhood pitching people on lawn care services, and I think didn't get a lot of business. <laughs> but then it snowed and we realized we could shovel snow. And I think if you're a homeowner, like giving a 12-year-old, you know, letting them take care of your lawn is a lot more dicey than sh- shoveling your driveway. there for sure, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so we started shoveling driveways. The other thing, you know, do you remember those catalogs where you used to go door-to-door? Oh, yeah. And if you sold like a certain number of goods, you'd get a prize. Yep, yep. So like I was the master of those. Uh, so yeah, a lot Selling of...
0: Selling was in your blood then?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think just... And being enterprising. Yeah. A few years later we, we started a DJing company nice. and we cornered the the Indian wedding market in the Midwest or in St. Louis. Like not a big market, sure. but but like way better than an hourly job.
0: Riches are in the niches, man. Uh, that's yeah, that's right. That's right. Um your dad was an entrepreneur as well, right?
1: Yeah, so he, he had a real estate business and a travel agency okay. growing up. And so kind of small businesses, nothing huge, but a lot of the ethos of like yeah. you know, ownership and customer service and some of these really core things came in as a part of that.
0: Kind of some of that, like when you're, when you're self-employed, you're unemployed every day type of a mentality from the the time that you were. I mean, I I think you see
1: those certain things bring lessons. Like, you know, later on I worked at Goldman Sachs and like, I did not love that job. Not, you made lots of money doing it but like the the experience of seeing someone who make their own schedule call their own shots, yeah, it, sometimes it doesn't matter how much money you make if you're just not controlling your own destiny, and sure. I think that was like a big kind of if my default was no, you make you know you call your own shots, yeah, and then the second you're not doing that, it feels strange, and so I think that was a big lesson for me early on
0: with, um, with your parents kind of you know leading the way in entrepreneurship, was there also a big push for you to like go hard into education. I know it's kind of a big thing culturally for a lot of Indian families. Was that something that was present in your family or no?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think my parents were a little younger and like they came over here when they were much younger too. Okay. So they had like, they were slightly more Americanized, I think, than most Indian immigrants were. So they weren't like, you must be a doctor. Sure. Which is like the traditional <laughs> Indian thing of like, you must be a doctor. That's, and like Indians, you know, they're smart. They're like, What's going to pay me the most with the least risk, and that's that's why doctor is the like favorite job for for Indian Americans. So they weren't quite that aggressive about it. I think they were much more like, "Well, you're pretty bright, and like you should not waste your life, so you should do a good job in school." Yeah. Um, And I liked learning. I was going to say you obviously took to it pretty well. Yeah, I like I was fine with it. But they like they didn't know where I applied to college. Like they didn't have a clear sense for. Yeah, they didn't put any pressure on me in that way. They didn't put any pressure on the kind of job to take. Um, Like my older brother's an attorney, my younger brother's a VC, I'm an entrepreneur. So they, they, you know, they were pretty open about it.
0: I'm curious as to how you advise young people to navigate those waters. Uh, you know you, you you have this kind of background of non-traditional paths of making money like starting random landscaping companies and shoveling snow and stuff like that. But then you also have a prestigious background of right. University of Pennsylvania at a, a Wharton School of Business. Um, and then and then, working at McKinsey and working at Goldman Sachs, very traditional, and then entrepreneurship. You have an eclectic mixture of yeah. a lot of different backgrounds. What would be your advice to uh, young people listening that are curious whether or not, you know, is college the path for me? Should I head this head down this path if I want to be an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, spiritually, like, the more you can get to know yourself and be true to yourself, that's like my number one advice. Is spiritually, it's like, I think I spent a lot of time, and a lot of young people spend a lot of time saying like, "What is the right answer?" Yeah, and I think all of us get to the point where we go, "Oh wait, there is no right answer. It's just what I want." Sure. And I think even for myself, had I sort of asked that question earlier, I might have been, you know, set up for more success. So yeah. I think that's like the spiritual answer. I think the like pragmatic answer is like. It's kind of like, I guess, what my parents taught me, which is like, well, if if you're able to do those things, like, make the most out of whatever gifts you've been given, like, intelligence or Mm -hmm. hard work or ability to communicate, make the most out of those gifts. And, like, you know, a lot of my career path is funny because people talk about entrepreneurship being this big risk. But because of the college I went to and because of those jobs, like, I almost had no risk when I went to start a venture.
0: Hmm. What do you mean by that?
1: I just... My worst case was I'd land on a very soft, you know, oh, gotcha, mattress gotcha. Yeah. of fancy job where you yeah. make a lot of money. Become and a so, consultant
0: at McKinsey. And or whatever, work, right? Something
1: right. along that. And so I think I always tell people, like, if you're sure you want to do it, like, if it's the thing that you're super, super passionate and your insides are singing about it, then, yeah, like, drop out of college or don't even take a job. I'm like, but if you just want to be an entrepreneur one day, which is sort of for me, I didn't have a passion for any, like... I had a passion for business entrepreneurship, but not mm-hmm. a particular idea. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you might as well get some experience under your belt, and then you're you know you're going to de-risk it for yourself sure. and and have the ability to 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 do it. But I think there are some people who are like wired. I mean, you know, the Michael Rubin is the founder of um, Fanatics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like he's famously like failed out of Villanova, or whatever, and he's like a multi-billionaire. Like so, sure. everyone has their own wiring, and I think like again, getting to know your own wiring as soon as you can. And then trying to let that guide you as much as you possibly can.
0: So at what point did you have the passion for the idea that got you to stop being down never the did. traditional I mean, I never, path or whatever?
1: Well, I, I think there's two types of entrepreneurs. I think there's entrepreneurs who have an idea they want to see in the world and they're just going to relentlessly chase that. And then there's people who just love the idea of kind of like be, running their own thing and being their own boss and having an entrepreneur. And, and there's some overlap between those two, but I'm definitely more of the second, hmm. like more passionate about entrepreneurship for entrepreneurship's sake versus any one idea. Um, the other thing I would say though is, like, even in my, my path, I viewed the fancy jobs of McKinsey and Goldman as, uh, as detours.
0: Oh, really? Like, when I left
1: college, I said, I think I want to be an entrepreneur, but everyone says these are the best companies in the world to work for. Shouldn't I go see what they're all about? And what I told myself, and I actually wrote it down, was if I'm in the top 5% and I love them, I will make those my life. Like, those will become my career. So, those mm. were, my bar was super high. I yeah. had to be in the top 5% and had to love them. And I think I was, I don't know, probably in the top 25%. I liked them, but that, the bar, it wasn't high enough. Sure. So that's when I said, okay, I did this for four years. My worst case is I'll go to business school or land a similar job now. Let me go try to start my own company. Um, and that was in 2010. It was also the middle of financial crisis, which was like a great time to take a big risk because the world was, you know.
0: Sure. Un- uncertain anyway. Uncertain. Yeah. And there
1: was an opportunity cost maybe that there, there are at other times.
0: Right, right. So what was the first company?
1: First company was Ampush. It was
0: the first one. Okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, first real company. And Ampush itself went through multiple iterations. But we were 25, 26 years old. You know, someone said, we're like, okay, we want to start something. We want it to be profitable from early on. What should we do? And someone was like, you know, you should go look at digital marketing. And this was like, there was no Facebook. There was Google ads. There was some display. There was Affiliate. And someone described it as this, or I don't know if we coined this term, but we started calling it the spinal cord of the internet. I was going to
0: ask about that, yeah.
1: Right? And so like, if you're TikTok or Facebook or Google, you make all your money from digital marketing. And if you're all the subscription merchants here, you get all your customers from digital marketing. Yeah. And so there's this element of like, wow, if we learn this, that we'll learn everything. We'll like know the whole internet, basically. And yeah. so we got really excited about that. we were numbery people, so it was numbery and we liked that. And we said, well, well, hold on, we don't know anyone. We're 26, we have no relationships. They're like, well, there's this part of marketing called performance marketing, and they'll just try you. Yeah. And they just give you a shot whether or not you want to go performance marketing. And similar to this conference, we went to this conference called LeadsCon. And I remember very distinctly, like we met this guy who's Pakistani, his name is Al Ahmed. He was the VP of marketing at Kaplan University who was looking for leads for interested students. Mm. And we kind of gave him our pitch. We said, we're really smart, we'll work really hard. And he, he just like looked at us, he's like, well you're brown, I'm brown, like, I'll give you guys a shot. Like, that was literally how we got our first piece of business. So he, he gave us a test budget of $100,000. So $50 a lead and 2,000 leads. And wow. he's like, and if you can produce that, I'll buy them from you. Wow. That's so like, okay, well, we're in business. And we probably got a few yeah, other that's schools. a solid test that budget. Yeah. I mean, those, they were huge <laughs> at that time. Those universities were spending tons of money. So we had, I think, we came home from that conference with three or 400,000 of like, Budget. Yeah, play money. But we had to, well, we had to go get the leads. They'd pay us $50 a lead. And so we, you know, learn AdWords and we'd light up our first campaigns. We spend $10,000 in the course of like four days. And the leads are costing us $1,000. Oh
0: my gosh.
1: And we're getting paid $50. That's less than
0: ideal. Yeah, I would say. And so
1: we're like, holy shit. So you may as well just quit,
0: throw in the towel. Right? I
1: mean, it was like, you know, I tell the story like my face turned flush floor fell out from underneath me. And I was like, fuck, what did I do? And my dad who was an entrepreneur his whole life, but he like saw how much money people made at Goldman Sachs. Like he didn't understand why, like for him, entrepreneurship wasn't really a choice. Oh, you know? gotcha. It was like,
0: it was like what you did because you couldn't get a job.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Immigrant. He's like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur for me. He's like, why would you choose this mm. life? This makes no sense. And so then he's like, you know, cross question, like, you know, he's like, why are you, why did you leave your job at Goldman Sachs? And you didn't know anything about this and now you're losing money hand over fist. What's wrong with you? Like he was he did not get it. He was he was perturbed by the whole situation. And you know, we started grinding to just figure it out. We tried all our we started throwing our creative ideas out the window, we started copying competitors. Like anything did, did you stick do. to
0: the one platform the whole time? Like just Google display. Well, or we Google stuck Apps? with
1: Google because that was the only platform there was. Yeah. It was two thousand ten, right? And this is pre Facebook. Ads. Well, it was, this was a summer Facebook launch, which is sort of the cool arc of our story, right? Yeah. Which we, we grinded on Google until, you know, the CPA went to 500, then it went back to 700, then it went to 200, then it went to like, and finally, I think the, it was a week of my birthday, like last week, 13 years ago, where we had like our first profitable week and it was like five or 10% margins. It wasn't good margins. Yeah. And then June of 2010, Facebook launched their self-serve ad platform. And so, honestly, it wasn't going that well in Google. So, we were like, well, let's try this Facebook thing. And we actually ported over the likes and interests from Google. Oh, okay. So, it was like, you know, substitute teacher and math teacher. And we made these little ads, and you could micro target on Facebook at that time. And we were like, sick of being a sub? Like, get a master's in teaching. Or, hey, math teacher, you want to get a raise? Like, go get your master's in teaching from Kaplan. And what was a 10% margin on Google or 5% margin on Google was a 75% margin on Facebook. The oh leads were costing gosh. us 10 bucks. And then we were just like, Oh my God. Like, it was like, you know, the, was the, the scene in Beverly rush. Hillbillies yeah. where they like shoot the ground and they strike oil right. and they are like, Oh my God. Yeah. And then we just said, how do we get, you know? And so that's when we just, you know, we really, we really started spending a lot of money and time on Facebook. Facebook was totally manual at that time. It was the right rail on the desktop. There was no mobile, there was no feed. And about nine months later we got a call from Facebook and they said, who the hell are you guys? You're one of our top 100 global advertisers. We don't know who you are. Come meet us, like, and so that was when we actually became like, you know, let's go build a pl- platform around Facebook. Let's, yeah. and that's you know, at that time Uber was launching in Birchbox and Dollar Shave Club, and not because we were smart, because it was like one of the few companies who could do it. We started working with all of these big brands.
0: There, <clears throat> there's so much. There's so much gold in your story, man. Because <clears throat> a lot of times entrepreneurs, I think, we can get bogged down looking at the vision of the one kind of like world changing idea that like infinitely scalable company like some of these, you know, subscription boxes or SaaS companies uh, that are just, frankly, just intrinsically more difficult to build uh, and and especially if you don't know anything about building a product, you don't know anything about finding customers, you don't know anything about customer satisfaction... What would, I mean, how do you kind of phrase it to people in terms of your first company being this this performance-based marketing agency? Because a lot of people, I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of people kind of like encourage people to stay away from agency work because it's time intensive and it's difficult and all these other things. But arguably, this was the best decision that you made because you built a profitable business that you didn't have to go into a ton of debt. You didn't have to go raise venture capital for. Right. You didn't have to. You didn't have to go invent something. You just provide a service, and you make sure the service is good. And it, some of that is just there, there's there's so much, uh, it, it's just so much simpler right. to, to do right. it that way. And then you're able to take that skill set that you built, putting together this doing this agency work, yep. and use it for several other yeah. you know startups and different companies you've added.
1: Yeah, I, I think one of the myths of entrepreneurship is come up with idea. If idea works, you become rich. Yeah. And then you retire. They look
0: at it like, it's, it's like the lottery.
1: And yeah, and that's how most people think of starting a business or entrepreneurship. Yeah. And I actually think there's much more of a career path to entrepreneurship than people appreciate and realize. And what that means is like, maybe that career path is, you know, be one of the first members of a team for someone doing a venture back startup if that's what you want to do one day and see how they do it and then then yourself try to start one. You know, or it's like, yeah, start a business. You know, it's funny that people, again, poo-poo, like you're saying, agencies or businesses that aren't scalable. But like for any individual, a business that's doing 5 million in sales, even 3 million in sales is completely life-changing. Oh, yeah.
0: And Just the fact that you don't have a boss telling you what to do. I mean, some yeah, people but are any, like,
1: I mean, those numbers get, can get big pretty fast. For what's yeah. a small business can be a very big human, you know, outcome. Yeah. And so I think I think it's worth thinking about like where do I start? Okay, what's to your point? We definitely did the calculus of is this a like easier to execute idea? Mm-hmm. And it was part of our thesis in starting the business was like we didn't want to put ourselves in a binary outcome of either we raise money and it's successful and we or we fail, right? And we have to go back we're, and get. We're jobs. leaving our fate in the hands per- of the venture capitalists. We purposely yeah. chose something that we thought would be easier to get our you know get going. And then you get better a little bit every single day and you, you learn a lot. But yeah, I think I think there can be, a, your first venture can be modest and small and exit. And you know, it's funny, even guys like Elon Musk, people worship Elon Musk. His first company was an ad tech, like a marketing, advertising tech business. Like yeah. he, he had an ad network for classified business. Hmm. Uh, like, and he even had one before that. And then he started like PayPal and then, and then even PayPal is kind of like, you know, it's not the same thing as Tesla or SpaceX. Yeah, these right. hyper ambitious things. So, I think there's definitely much more of a career path where you can you can get something going, get some experience, you build some contacts, you have an exit, you make a little bit of money. Then you're like, "All right, now what? Now let me let me step up a level and let me yeah. try something a little bit different and you can kind of keep going and and again, in Elon Musk's case, you get as ambitious as you can imagine.
0: This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need a hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, it feels like it feels like you're you're choosing to drink out of a smaller spigot at mm-hmm. first. Instead, like if you jump into building a SaaS or something like that, it just there's so many skills to learn. You have to yeah. learn hiring and firing and people, and then you have to learn marketing and customer acquisition and sales, and then you have to learn customer experience and product development totally. and all this. And it's just like, if you bombard yourself with all this information when you don't have any experience to fall back on or anything like that, I mean, that's that's why there's such a high attrition rate. Whereas yeah. if you can start with something like this, it's, 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 a, prove, it's a proven model. It, yeah. there, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're just providing a service for somebody else and you learn through that how to maybe manage a team effectively, how to hire your first few people. You learn a little bit about customer acquisition, both in your client, your current client acquisition for yourself and in uh, the work that you're doing for the client. You're building a skill set that can actually translate to a company that you want to build in the future. You get a little bit of seed money from that venture. You sell it or it's just profitably running and you take profit distributions. And I I, I just think it's so underrated.
1: There's so many pieces to it. You know, starting a business is so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. And so, like, if you can find ways to make it easier for yourself, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, why not? I think also, just like anything that's really hard, the more you do it, the more experience you get, and it actually does become easier with time. And then to your point, like, there's a bunch of things like hiring, delegation, culture, Processes that are honestly the same whether you're running a services business or a yep. SaaS business or an e-commerce—they're all this like, like learning how to hire people well, delegate well, and so there is a ton of transferable skills that come along with being any kind of entrepreneur. And and you know I think it, and to your point yeah then there's like learnable skills that you can use in other contexts. So yeah I think I think there's definitely more of a career path to entrepreneurship than people make it sound like. And I you know is one every time someone talks to me, I'm my like, first question to all anyone starting a business is how many of whatever you do do you have to sell to start to like make $1 a month in profit? Because once you make $1 a month in profit and cover your expenses, you can kind of last forever. And then mm. it opens up a lot of options for you to grow that business, to evolve a different business. But I think there's just a lot. I think the narrative is very focused on you got to go big, got to raise money, yeah. or go home. And those right. are my only two options. And it's like there's, there's a whole middle option that no one talks about.
0: Yeah, that can actually work out extremely well.
1: Yep. <laughs> not, well, they, not I mean, even, not what the math people work. do is like you know, if you have a hundred million dollar company, this math works at any level, but like a hundred million dollar company and you own 70% of it, you make $70 million. If you raise all this venture money, you end up with, you know, 7% of a company that you sell for a billion dollars. That was a total tightrope, way riskier. You actually end up in the same place. Right. One was way riskier, one less likely, and one was like a lot more whatever, you know, and and all all this, all these numbers are kind of
0: stupid at the end of the day, right? Yeah. All arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to transition a little bit and talk a little bit about media because I, I know you you've said uh, you said you've called podcasting an unfair advantage before, and I know that you are you know dare I say a Twitter influencer, um, you've been uh, writing really really good stuff over there, building and accumulating a solid community of people who follow the things yeah. that you write, and uh, and and I and I've seen you on Twitter uh, talk about the transition into focusing on really becoming yourself a media company mm-hmm. by yourself and then using that maybe as a distribution platform for like the companies that you're working on. Yep. How do you view, uh, I guess, the marriage that's happening today because of podcasting, social media, all these other landscapes, the marriage of personal media and entrepreneurship? How do you, how do you view those things?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. The, the Twitter content, podcasting stuff is probably the first thing I've ever done in my recent life that I didn't actually have a plan or a strategy for it. Mm. Like typically when I start a business, I'm like numbers, metrics, how are we going to grow this? And this one for me was very spiritual because I spent a lot of time, like I love helping other people learn and grow. Like if you talk to any of my friends, they'll go, Jesse's the guy you call when you need career advice. He's the guy when you want to get sort of like perspective on something. And so a lot of the idea behind that was how can I bring that to more people? Mm. And I think like even the first time, you know, 5,000 followers and people sending you messages going, wow, that thing you wrote was really helpful. Like it was, it was very, very much filled my cup. Yeah. And so, and, and I think I start there because as you can imagine, I get lots of friends and other entrepreneurs going, oh my God, how did you do that? <laughs> like, I want to start doing that too. And the first thing I tell all of them is like, if you're not genuinely enjoying it just for what so it true. is, yeah. it, you just won't, you won't be able to last. You have because, a disadvantage. You yeah. just won't do it. Like the reality yeah. is you won't do it because right. it does require a lot of work and it does require a lot of perspective and thinking and focus and all that stuff. And so that for me is like the the main driver, honestly. And then, and so everything else has been gravy, but there's been a lot of gravy, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think like, you know, Growth Assistant, one of the businesses we launched has gotten 70% of its leads from Twitter. Wow. Um, you know, so we've seen a Twitter lot of commercial organic. value. I've seen a lot of recruiting value in attracting mm. talent. That's huge. Um, which is huge. And so, you know, and then the third one is just, like, capital in both directions. I think, like, people wanting to be invest in their companies or people wanting to invest in what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's great. I think, again, I, I think the number one thing is, like, does it actually fill your cup? And I think for a lot of people it just doesn't or it's, sure. like, annoying and whatever. I think the other thing I always tell people is, like, I am you know, people have done this, but I'm not a huge fan of the, like, professional content creator influencer Uh, I mean, I I built a business for 10 years before I ever wrote anything on Twitter. Yeah, right. And I think there's plenty of people who have grown big followings who don't have that experience. But to me, like, it's just a little strange for someone who's not that experienced to be out there
0: sharing platitudes. Yeah, or, yeah. It's uh, a little hollow. Distributing thought leadership. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Most of my knowledge just comes from, like, dumb shit I did. Yeah, sure, so, but that's what makes that's it valuable. valuable. Yeah, yeah exactly. right, exactly. Uh,
0: there, there's uh, there's so much talk, you know, because I, I live a lot in the content world. I do a lot of podcasting things, and my software company's in the podcasting space. And uh, there's there's speculation always happening when you see people blow up, and they're always talking about like, well, it's because you know, look at the color of the captions, and look at yeah. the subtitles, that look what they did here, and look, everybody's looking for the hack. And it was like at the end of the day, there, there's this guy that I don't know if you, you know, uh, Alex Shamosi. But he's kind of blown up recently in the in the entrepreneurship space, and everybody's kind of mirroring what he was doing, and uh, and and trying to kind of growth hack the stuff that was working for him. And we put out we put out some content about it recently because it was just it started to irritate me because they're, you're discounting all exactly what you're talking right. about. You're discounting all of the years of hard work that he put in. Like maybe it's the fact that he wrote of like he spent hundreds of hours writing a best selling book that right. went viral, sold right. over a hundred thousand copies. And during that same uh, cycle, he also sold a majority stake in his company to a private equity firm for like fifty-eight million dollars. Right. Like maybe maybe it might have had something to do with the fact that people are actually wanting to consume this guy's content, and not the fact that his subtitles are yellow or orange or whatever.
1: My favorite story about this—it's easy to remember and easy to repeat—is. Someone went to Pablo Picasso in a restaurant. Have you heard this one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I'll, said, I'll do much. to tell And they said, you. hey, draw me a portrait. And he looks at the person and he, in 20 seconds, he draws like a pretty decent portrait. And he hands it to the person. and He goes, that'll be a million dollars. What do you mean? That took you 20 seconds. He goes, no, no, no. It took me 30 years. Yes. Right? Exactly. And so I think that a lot of that happens on social and content. And like, that's the same. So it was like, you 100,000 something followers, Jesse. And I'm like yeah no like I, yeah I wrote a bunch of stuff that got me there, but like I've been working on that for a really long time.
0: Right The stuff that you're writing has clout and credibility because of who you are, not because right. of the way that you wrote it on Twitter. yeah right
1: and so I, th- I think there's something to do that, and, and I think you also kind of find your people like to me, I really do like this idea of there's a lot of space between the mom and pops and the venture funded companies. It's yeah. frankly pretty empty and there's a different playbook for how you build those businesses, right? There's, you have to think more about cash management. You have to think about EBITDA from an early, like the way you plan is different. And so that's kind of the world I'm trying to play in more hmm. and hopefully even build community or programs or coaching like classes around that. Yeah. Um, and again, cause it's spiritually aligned, but also like, I think there's people need help with that because Again, there's only two paradigms out there. Mom and pop, which is just like random figure it out on your own. Totally. Or venture funded, there's like a very well-worn trail. There's not a lot of resources out there for people who are in the middle. And I, I think, especially with the world of e-com and all these things, like the, the vast majority of entrepreneurs in the future are going to be in that middle zone, actually.
0: How, how would you define that middle? Like, Is that a revenue number that you're thinking in terms of being in the middle? Or is that uh, size of the enterprise, total addressable market? How are you defining that?
1: Yeah, I, I mean... I, it's a kind of maybe defined by what it's not, you know, like it's okay. not a business that's going to be worth a billion dollars in three to five years, which is sort of the venture model. And it's also
0: not a dry. Cleaner I don't, but I corner. think
1: you can absolutely have a business that's going to be worth a billion in that, in that zone. It might take 10 years, you know, like yeah. you grow with the profits. Like it's just a different way of thinking about business. Got it. Got it. Um, and it's not a mom and pop, which is typically like, you know, pays for someone's sort of like their family or whatever, but it's right. a real, and the, again, there's, the history of entrepreneurship has more of those businesses than not. And I think the future of entrepreneurship will also have more of those businesses than not. It's just a lot of the narrative is around the venture and the land, you know, that the lotto ticket.
0: That's definitely what I used to think, man. I used to think like, if you, if you're going to make a lot of money in business, you gotta, you gotta invent Facebook Mm -hmm. or you gotta invent angry birds. Like it's a, it's just a matter of luck. And how many times can I take a swing at this thing? And hopefully one of them I get lucky with, it was just, it was never, it was never an option to me that I could build a boring, unsexy business yeah. like a HVAC company or like a roofing business yeah. or something like that that you can scale to pretty big numbers. I have some friends that have exited yeah. roofing businesses for $50, $60 million, and they just started it totally. with a couple buddies going door-to-door selling roofs. You but know? even
1: that narrative is like, you know, Stitch Fix was bootstrapped. They yeah. got to like hundreds of millions in revenue bootstrapped. Wow right uh mail cha- i mean there there's a million examples and stories yeah. where
0: Maripost. people
1: got to big scale in in that in between zone right yeah. um, so i think i think it doesn't have to be a boring business it can be a cool super sexy business
0: <laughs> how do you uh, how do you like the crazy ones i know you've been you've been, it's been blast, co-hosting man. that now yeah how yeah. How's that been going
1: it's fun it's yeah. like you know I, I have a chance to talk about what's going on i think share a lot of knowledge again it's like super cool to get people pinging and saying I was stuck on this problem and then I heard you talk about this and it really helped me me through it. Sure. Um, so it's a blast. And I think I think podcasting and media in general is like a really fun thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Is there something that you prefer about the format versus other things? Like like writing, talking, speaking video? Is there a format you, you prefer?
1: You know, I, I, I was a very competitive speech and debate student in high school. Okay. And so I think I just am a pretty
0: good public speaker. Yeah. <laughs> and so... I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is that was easy how it for was me. for me, dude. I was like, uh, blogging, not so much. But if I can talk, sure, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think writing. The funny thing is the way I learned how to write online, at least, is like I I talked, and then I was like, mm, okay. that's like what I would say. So yeah. I just wrote down the first few threads I wrote on Twitter were like the stories I tell at every dinner or party. Mm. And I'm like, oh, everyone loves this story when I tell it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna <laughs> write it on a Twitter thread. And it turns <laughs> out, like thousands of people like it too. So it wasn't that. That was. You know that's the thing I've harnessed, and uh, I think I had a gift a little bit, but also harnessed a lot of the skill around public speaking.
0: Uh, I know we're kind of running up on time here, so I wanted to ask you a question because I know that you're really big into uh, kind of spirituality, mental health practices, uh, ways of kind of centering yourself. You're your husband. You're a father. Uh, you're an entrepreneur. You got a ton of stuff going on. Uh, lots of people pulling at your time, speaking gigs, all these other things. How do you view balance? Is balance a myth? Is it achievable?
1: Mm. That's a great question. You know, I, I think I've gotten to a pretty good place from a balance perspective. I'll, I'll say a few things, and some of which will be conflicting with each other. I think one is the more you're doing stuff that energizes you, the less you worry about balance. Mm. Or I speak for myself. The less I worry about balance, right? Yeah. So when I find myself getting into QuickBooks to try to figure out a reconciliation, even if it's an hour, I'm like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel balanced at all. If I'm spending an hour brainstorming a new business and properly have my accountant taking care of that, like yeah. I'm like, oh, I could do this for eight more hours if yeah. I wanted to, right? And so, and then similarly, like if I'm uh, you know playing with my kids and whatever, you know teaching my son baseball or what, like, those kinds of things. I'm, like, excited by them if, you know, there's a power struggle going on with my kids and I'm trying to, like, oh, wait, should I, you know, should I be yell at them right now or yeah. should I try <laughs> to listen to them right now? Like, you know, again, that can be deflating and de-energizing. So I think the more you can align yourself to actually being true to what you want or what you want to spend time on, and it's really hard for most of us. Yeah, It's been hard for me. It, it is still hard for me because, like, I'm like, well, no, I should... The world says I should be doing this, or this is exactly. the way you do this, and and like that's a lot of the time that voice versus your inner self. So the more those days I feel the most energized or and like balanced is when I feel really, really aligned. So that's number one. Um, number two is like I, you know, I keep a pretty rigorous schedule. Mm. Like I'm here, I'm leaving at 11 p.m. tonight because I just decided like if I'm going to travel for work, I'm never more than 24 hours I'm going to be away from home. Like that's wow. like a I don't know if I'll always do it, but it's a rule I'm trying to set. Because you know what, tomorrow, like there is a difference between getting home tomorrow uh, after the morning versus tonight. Totally. And waking up, I mean, there's just gonna be a difference in my house. I'm like pretty scheduled, so I like, le- you know, leave the office certain time. Like Monday, I think I've talked about this probably before, but Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm home by six. Dinner with the family. I put the kids down. Tuesday, Thursdays, I work super late, and mm-hmm. like I'm no one's gonna see me. I'm gonna, you know, I work Sunday afternoons, Saturdays. I like so I have like a pretty routinized schedule to be yeah. able to try to balance everything. And then the last thing I'll say, which sort of conflicts with everything is like, I worked my ass off from 18 to 31 or 15 to 31, really. Mm. Studying to get into a good college, working at a really hard college, like in, in Penn, at Wharton, every class is curved. So only the top 20% get A's. Mm. So they do that in like law school and shit, but the people who are older in law, you're like 18 years old and they're like, guess what? If you're, they, and every exam is, is like, the average mean on an exam is 55 So if you get, like, a 65 on an exam, you get an A. And the reason for that is because these are all the nerdy kids who are getting 95s on every test in every high school in America going to a college, and all of a sudden it's like, nope, we can't give you an easy test because you guys will all crush them. And so, like, college was hard. Like, most people are like, college, party. No, that's not college (laughs) for me. My college was hard. And then I worked at these jobs and then got ambushed off the ground. So, you know, the other thing, it's like, it's always you can't ask people now what they do. I'm almost 40, right? Like, I worked my ass off for a long time, right? And there's battle scars and there's my wife and I talked to coach about it still. Cause for five years, I barely saw her the yeah. first five years of our marriage. So, you know, but- there's balance over a lifetime too, I guess, but like enabled me to do some of the things I'm doing now, but I don't think it's, it's like easy or or able for
0: everybody. Balance over lifetime. I like that. I'm gonna start stealing that. I'll I'll give you credit though. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, no, but uh, that's why I asked the question. I I, I always ask the question uh, as often as I can with people who are high performers in multiple areas of life, because I find that to be the answer more often than not is that most people are just like balance doesn't really exist. It's, it's, it's cyclical phases. It's kind of like, I'm really focused on this right now, and then sometimes I'm really focused on this. And when you get to a point where you are now, where you have the ability to completely control every aspect of your schedule, and you don't have to worry about like, oh, if I don't go do this thing tonight, my business is going to go under tomorrow. Like, you don't have to worry about that at this point.
1: Yeah, I couldn't imagine being a first-time entrepreneur with young children. Yeah. That sounds... Impossible. It to was me.
0: difficult. I'll tell you that. All right, there you go. <laughs> that was how I, it was I, for me. I, <laughs> my my second My second kid was born a month after I started my software company. I um, can't imagine. And my first was eighteen months at the time. And yeah, it was it was a blur. I, I don't really remember much yeah. about it. I just. Uh, somehow I'm, I'm here. So yeah. luckily, luckily I'm here still. <laughs> um, well, listen, dude, I know that, I know we got to get running. Uh, there's a bunch of other meetings and stuff uh, that we got to get run into. And they're, they're calling my name out back. So um, Jesse, before we take off here, where's the number one place that you want people to go learn a little bit more about you, follow some of the stuff that you're working on? Uh,
1: I guess Twitter's easiest. just follow me. J S Pooji,
0: That's Pooji with two J's P
1: U J J I
0: on Twitter. Uh, Jesse, thanks so much for coming on the show, dude. This is a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, thanks, Travis.
0: That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischappell.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischappell.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you, since I'm sharing my friends with you, is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode.
1: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app.